Sober Sundays with Mike Michal. We're at Floored Media in Rockville Center. Once again, thank you to Jay holding us down. And I start, I think, every show by saying I have a special guest. Um, this one tops the list. He doesn't know it yet, but he is a legend. And we have Izzy joining us. Hi, Izzy. Good afternoon, Mike. Now, you also listen to Sober Sundays. Absolutely, all the time, every one of them. And what, what are you bringing to the table today? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a good question. Uh, maybe a, a little bit of uh, mellow, mellow sobriety. Mellow, I didn't really start off that, um, I never really went to any institutions or jail or uh, had anything bad happen to me. The only those are not requirements. No requirements. The only requirement I had was a desire to stop drinking. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your story, because your story had a, a lot of abstinence at, at one point. Yes. Um, I had, well, you know, just to quote a, a saying from one of your first podcasts, when was the darkest before the dawn? What led up to the darkest before the dawn was uh, when I started to go to, um, to college. I went to SUNY Farmingdale, and I packed my briefcase and I was going to be a great artist over there and I found out that I really actually sucked but <laughs> the good part about it was that they had a little bar on the um, campus there and every time I left campus I had a nice little drink or two and on my way home and that's about what started it. Uh, you found the solution. I, I kind of found the solution to being a failure so to speak and that led into taking a geographic location. I went to Florida for a year or so partied up at Miami-Dade University with a couple of friends. And when I came back, I got myself a nice little job in uh, shipping and uh, import-export place. And that's where I discovered that my problem was not so much the drinking, because I did drink a little bit, wasn't so bad, but I realized the, drink, the, the problem was me. We started drinking at four o'clock on a Friday. We got a bottle of liquor, and when the Bell rang, let's say, at 5 o'clock. Everybody else left, and I stayed, and I brought the bottle home, and I continued to to drink. And that's where did, the darkness really started. Did you notice that you were drinking differently than some other people? Uh, at that point, not so much. It took a little bit of time to realize, because actually the progression of my drinking, which really got bad, is when I started to work at a bar and restaurant in Atlantic Beach. I was... I was a dishwasher, I, got, I was very lucky, I got myself a job, I got myself a job at 22 as a dishwasher in a restaurant, and that's where the drinking just completely took off. And led you to eventually stop? Well, it took many years to be eventually stop. The progression went from bad to worse, and um, the only, I made many, a few attempts to stop drinking. I made a few attempts at uh, stopping with other drugs and with, um, uh, other things and uh, it didn't work out until finally I did decide to stop and I like you said before you asked yes I stopped I was untreated alcoholic for about four years or so before I actually got into the program what was that like for four years better well no it was the worst thing ever it was um it was just torture it was it, I thought that it was the drinking that really made me sick I thought that it was the people that made me sick it took me a long time to realize that it was me that made me sick so a disease that centers in the mind. Disease centered right in the mind. I could, I guess, I was always asking for that, uh, uh, that little bit of something to get me going. I always compare it to chocolate. Like, 
Sometimes I just want something a little sweet. I know if I have one piece of chocolate, I'm going to eat 20 pieces of chocolate. And that's not going to make any solution because then I have to eat salt after that. And then I have to eat bread after that. So the same thing with the liquor. I, I, I knew I knew I shouldn't really be doing it. So that brought you after four years. But after four years, the story is that I was living with someone or living with another alcoholic. And that alcoholic decided to become sober. And what happened was they had... Uh, meetings at our house when um, we would go around and they would read. They would read from the big book and they would have tell stories and they'd have coffee and I would help serve the coffee. And now at this point, it was still me that was messed up. I was still the fuck up. I was still the guy that was, um, I, I didn't have tolerance for the, these other guys. I thought that I was okay and they weren't realizing <laughs> in, indeed that I really was messed who, up. Who are these sickos in my house? Yeah, <laughs> why are they here? But. <laughs> Uh, at one point they actually asked me, do I want to read? And I said, yes, I'll read with you guys. And for some reason the spark took off. And for that, from that point on, I started going to meetings and, uh, I got myself a sponsor and I got commitments and I started the ball rolling. What year was that? That was 1995. And you've been sober ever since? I've been sober ever since. That's a very long time, is he? Yes. Well, that 1995 till maybe the four years mm -hmm. after that was the untreated, but still it was part of it. So what does one do at, in this long period of time in sobriety? Wow, well, okay. So um, I went from, I told you I was a dishwasher. I went from a dishwasher to bartender, bartender to a, a, um, a waiter. And from there, uh, that business went out of business. Thank God, that was, from, that was an act of God, by the way. And my mom and my sister had a hold of me. Now, you, you, we always talk about family. My family was kindly disappointed with my behaviors, and they knew that I was going to probably try to get another job in this business of alcoholic torture, whatever, because I wasn't drinking, but I was working in these uh, institutions. And they talked me into getting a job in the um, civil service area. So I did. I had gotten certified. I was a computer lab assistant in a local school district. And at that time, for the first time in my life, someone actually asked me for help. Someone asked me for help, and I was flabbergasted. I was amazed that they would do that. These are young high school kids, and from that point on, I was, I don't know, it was, once again, I think it was God-inspired. I went back to school, went back to college, got a couple of master's degrees, and I uh, taught for 25 years. Wow. And now I'm retired, working two jobs. So tell us a little bit about the journey of sobriety, the people you met, the relationships. Wow. Okay. Um, I mean, you've been around for a long time, Izzy. I've been around for a long time. All right, I'll tell you a quick story. One of my neighbors asked me for a ride to uh, Point Lookout. And in the car, we were driving along. And he said, Izzy, he said, what is the best decade of your life? And I think he was hinting and he wanted to know if I was talking about my drinking and my drugging because I had a good time. He knew me when he was a teenager and he knew that I was the way I was. I said, hmm, Johnny, I said, the best decade of my life was the last 10 years. I said, the last 10 years of my life have been the best ever. I found good people in my life. I've been sponsoring people. I've been living with God. I've been having friends like you and like all these other guys at all these meetings. And I, I'm, just, I'm just in awe. I really am. I have a God-powered life. I love what I do. I work for a university and I help others with um, getting certified as teachers 
and then I work with another uh, young man. I bring him to a school and a work study program. And every day I have something to do that I could help somebody out with. And that's meaningful to me. The people in my whole life, the only people I really hang out with that I really have a good time with are my family or my people from AA. With AA, I'll do anything and go anywhere if I can. We just had a great um, uh, roller hockey tournament with uh, my friend over here was the uh, referee at some point. He was in the game. His son was in the game. There are other guys in there. It was absolutely amazing. My family, my family life is beyond belief. My sister calls me. My brother-in-law calls me. My other sister, they eat, either they ask for rides or information or advice about stuff. I babysit for my nieces and my nephews, my great niece and my great nephew, I should say. Um, I help my neighbors out. I, I, I'm beyond, beyond, beyond. Uh, beyond happy. Now you're the type of person that doesn't seem to say no to anybody. So how does one, even though you're half retired or three quarters retired, how do you do all these things and prioritize, prioritize all these events and helping people and showing up? And well, that's a good question, but you know what? The do you people, feel overwhelmed? Do you feel no, busy? No, not at all. Never. Because the people that ask me or tell me about these things are people that I really care about and the people that I want to be with. So there's always time in the day for somebody. I never, just for example, today I read with someone. I had to do, um, I was in school. I was, I was in this uh, high school that I bring this boy to. Came home, I had to do one little chore and then I met up with someone, we read, and then we came here. And we still have stuff to do after this. So what's been, if you could tell, tell us, what's the most difficult things that, in sobriety that you've had to face? Uh, Boy, uh, okay, the most difficult thing in sobriety that I had to face was the death of my mom, probably. But um, it was only because there was so much pressure on me to hold up the family. When my dad passed away, I was a young guy. I was really in the throes of alcoholism, and I was useless at that, at that point of my life. When my mom passed away, I was able to uh, bring my family together. We were able to take care of all the arrangements. We were able to take care of everything and anything that, we needed, that needed to be done. Um, any other, you said difficulties, right? Hmm. Do you feel like there's a lot of pressure on you because you've been around for so long that you're relied on to make important decisions or? Yeah, well, okay, let's, I see where you're alluding at. Sometimes there are times in my life where uh, I figure I'm gonna stay home and relax. I like to get, I like to go to sleep early and I like <laughs> to get up early. And there are times when some, certain times when people ask, can I cover a commitment? Or could I do this? Could I get a ride? And I don't like to say no. I don't say no. But I don't say no because I want people to like me. I don't say no because I want to help out. Uh, yeah, sometimes it's overwhelming. And it's only, only thing that really overwhelms me is when I have to do something past that I'll know will keep me out past 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> How's that for an answer? That's a good answer. Um, how about watching people... I'm sure you've watched a lot of people get sober, but a lot of people not get sober. What? Yeah, I have a, I've, I've seen a lot of young men. I, I sponsor, as you know, I sponsor a lot of young guys now, and I have some older guys. And in the mix over there, there's a lot of them that start out really strong. They start out doing the steps. We start reading the book. We're really doing a good time. We're having a good time doing it. I'm involved with them. We go. We'll go out to eat. We'll do the reading. We'll we'll do stuff together. And for the most part, they're all, they're, they're doing good. Uh, one or two slip and they just kind of fly away and that's okay with me too. I mean, it's not, I, I don't look at it as 
something that is my fault. I look at it as that's just the, the way it goes. They're, they're, they're through a learning process. Maybe they'll come back, and most of them, sometimes they do. I have two young guys that were I was working with who would, I have a, a piece of my heart is with them, and they're both not right now. They're both um, missing in actions, let's say, and, and, it, and it hurts me, and, and, uh, but it's a lesson for me again. I'm learning about letting go. I'm, it's very difficult for me to let go of things that um, I think are important. And I'm learning that to let go is not to stop caring. It's just that I can't do it for, for someone else. So is there a common theme? People that you've seen not make it, that don't come back, that just can't get, appear to get sober? The, the common thing is, yes. The common thing is, is that I don't think they buy into the whole spiritual aspect of this program. For me, there's nothing in this program that's materialistic. I, like I, I say before, I have a car, I have a house, I have friends, I have, I have a great job and all that. That's all material stuff. I don't care about that. I mean, I care about it because it helps me, but I, I'm very into the whole spiritual aspect of it, how God is, how God helps me out. I pray every day in the morning, and I think that for the most part, the people that don't buy into this program or don't buy into it because they, they lack the spirituality of the program. I think they think more about materialism. And um, it kind of leads me to, the, to this next question. Over the, what, 45 years you've been around? Something like that? My 35? Age? How yeah. long have you been in AA? Uh, tw uh, 28. 28 years. Have you seen any changes maybe in the way people get sober, people getting Good better? Like, it, has there been a shift maybe more people into the steps, yes. more people don't go yes. to meetings. Very good know. question. Okay, the, in, in the last so many years, the, the, the way that uh, people are getting sober is so different now. Way back in the, way back up, in the beginning of my sobriety, we didn't sit down really and read the book with people. We had, we, they did have big book meetings and they had, they had discussed the meetings and we went through the steps actually uh, like through a handbook or something, that kind of thing. And now we sit down with another sponsee and we read and we go through the steps and we talk about the big book and we even go through the 12 and 12. I think the biggest change right now is that on both ends of this uh, spectrum of being uh, not sober, there's a lot of young people coming in, lots of young people who I give so much credit to. But on the other hand, there's also a lot of older people, 55, 60 and over, who are starting to come back into the pro first starting to come into the program. And I think that's a big bonus for the, for the people that, like in the medium age. Um, I started out when I was 45, and um, I'm still happily a member of AA. I mean, I, I, I can't see me being anything else. As much as the years passed that I always thought when I was drinking that I said, I am gonna do this for the rest of my life. I'm so happy, I love drinking, I'm good at it, it doesn't bother me, you know, until it, you realize that. But now I can't even imagine going back to drinking. There's a story in the big book about the guy with the slippers, and he, he worked, it was just like me. I worked for 25 years, I retired, and the best thing that ever happened to me was being in AA so I can handle my retirement. What changes, if you could, make with, within uh, AA or 12-step programs, or maybe even rehabs? Um, I think that I, I'd like to see more awareness of uh, the programs out in the, uh, the community. I'd like to see more people not have a stigma of uh, what an alcoholic is. I could use my family as a really good uh, model, I think, that they see me. And like I say, my sister knows 
when I'm, if I'm doing something, the first thing they'll want to know is, are you got a meeting or do you have a commitment? And then they won't, they'll, they'll make sure that we can um, schedule the, uh, the, the party or the appointment or whatever around it. I think that there's too much, there's not enough of that going on in the world around us, let's just say, because people look down at us and saying, well, oh, you poor, poor people, or you're different. They don't have the tolerance that we have of others. Okay. And you're somebody that's so involved, right? So involved. Now, do you do this stuff because it makes you happy? Do you do this stuff because you feel like you need to do it for your own sobriety? Like, when is it enough? Like, when does Izzy it's get the kickback? It's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. I'm gonna, you know what I'm going to say about, like, taking someone through the steps. I take someone through the steps, and I want to make sure that that person does what I do for them, that they'll do for somebody else. It's a, it's a gift. I get choked up with this now. It's a gift that we have to pass on. There's no two ways about it. For some of the guys that I sponsor now, I make sure that I say, that they know that what I do for them, they have to do for someone else. And what I want to make sure that they know how I act when I call my sponsor and I do things my way, that that's how they would want their sponsees to do for them. Do you think that the, the young people getting sober now is it different from the young people getting sober in, in 99? Is it more life or death? Is it, are, are they coming in more with drugs also? So Yeah, good question. I, I, I think right now that um, the, the young people that are coming in now are more into getting help. I think in the beginning, the people that came in in the beginning came in because they were either mandated or because they thought they, want, they, thought they were going to, they didn't really understand it. They thought, they, they thought maybe they're just going to get away with learning how to drink or just because they're going to go to this program, they're going to be cured and they're not going to be cured. So yes, they're more diligent about coming into the program now. Are you happy with today's AA? I couldn't be. <laughs> yes, more than happy. This is, like I said before, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. I do, I live this program for three things. To continue, to improve and to practice, to continue my uh, taking my inventory, making sure I'm doing the right thing, to improve my conscious contact with God, and to practice these principles in all my affairs. That's the way I live, and I, I thank God every morning. I make this joke, it's not a joke, but I make this statement all the time. I go over the bridge, I open the windows, I let God in, and we talk, and I grateful, I'm so grateful. I'm a very grateful man. I'm gonna be on the way home from now. I'm probably gonna start crying how grateful I am. Do you think you've, will leave AA a better place than when you came in? You mean when I die? Well, whatever. I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I will never leave AA. No, I have too many people that I admire, too many people I look up to. Okay, so when you're gone, Izzy, I, I yeah. don't, I'm not saying you're going anywhere, but like, would it be safe to say that you left AA a better place than when, yes. you, when you came in? 150%, like, yes. Because of work that you have done. Well, that's not, yes, for work that I've done and work that I've done with others, like a, like a man like yourself. Yes, thank you. All right, so now let's just get right to it. Okay, there's a lot of talk about spirituality and you're very spiritual. How, how does one obtain such spirituality? What is spirituality? Spirituality. For Izzy. Okay, spirituality, okay. Spirituality is um, just, a presence of a higher power, of a presence of knowing that you have someone, faith in God, faith in, and when we say God, I call it my higher power, 
and love of God, and that will help me. So I know that no matter what happens, I'm, if I follow what I think God wants me to do, at the end, I'll be rewarded with something good that happens. I think that um, spirituality is something that leads my life. I think that because of humility and responsibility, those two things help with um, my life uh, going on, and it's all to, a, a reward from the spirituality. When I have, a, I always also talk this little uh, story that when my dad, when I was a younger guy, my dad, he was he was a World War II veteran, and he was in Germany. He got lost in Germany. He was in trouble with, I guess, with the with the enemy. And he told me this story, and he came back. I said, Dad, you know. You were pretty lucky that you got back from Germany. You didn't get killed. I said, he says, no, Isaac. He said, I wasn't lucky. God brought me back. God chose me to get back. And just by thinking of that story, I always think that God chose me as one of his people to carry a message. And because of that, I will be the messenger and I will do the best I can and be the best example I can. Uh, we say best example of the big book, but best example of the program that I could be. And, and you feel connected with, with this high power of all times? Like all the, the time. saying, never alone when, when you're with... I am with... God is in my presence all the time, yes. God is in my heart. My mom always says, Los corazones se hablan. The hearts speak. The heart, it always speaks. That means that if I'm speaking from the heart, that means God is with me. I don't. I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I won't lie to you. I'm, like, I'm going to tell you I don't <laughs> lie to you. But I lie sometimes. But it's a white lie, but but then I get caught in it and I feel bad and you have to go back and fix it. And w before we close, how would your family describe Izzy today? If they were explaining Uncle Izzy or their brother Izzy? Well, they know I'm in the program. They probably say they're happy to see that I'm, I'm recovered and I'm not the same person that I used to be. They used to make fun of me from um, the way that I was would always get away with murder, let's just say. And now they know that I'm so responsible that I don't even have to worry. I don't have to call the lawyer anymore to get me out of trouble. Not that I was in trouble like that, but trouble with the family. My family probably, I hopefully, looks up to me because they will ask me to, to take them places. They'll ask me to do stuff with them. I go on vacation with my family. Uh, I babysit. We're involved. We're very involved. and They love it. Reliable? Yeah, I am. I am. And if anybody needs a ride to the airport, you're willing to take them? <laughs> Depends on who it is. Now, of course, you, yes, anytime. So what, in closing, what, what do you want to say? I just want to say how grateful I am for you uh, for asking me to speak here. I'm more than grateful, and, I, and I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to try to make you feel good. But every morning when I pray, I thank God for, for you to be as being a friend of mine and being in my life. I thank God for... Um, just giving me the tolerance and the ability to show how I could work through God and help others to show how spirituality works in myself through others. Ooh. And just for, for the people out there, if anybody's willing or that needs some help, you're, you're willing to help them. 150%. All right. So also you can reach Sober Sunday podcast.com or you can reach out for myself or to Isaac or to Izzy um, thank you Izzy thank you <laughs>